0: Hello and welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, January 20th,
1: 2024. The only podcast that separates the fact from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A top NATO official urges Western civilians to prepare for conflict with Russia.
0: North Korea claims a successful test
1: of an underwater nuclear capable drone. The White House cancels nearly 5 billion in student debt for almost 74,000 borrowers. Trump's legal team urges the Supreme Court to keep him on the Colorado ballot. Biden inks a short-term congressional spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. Another transgender political candidate is disqualified over a naming row in Ohio. OpenAI removes its ban on the military use of its AI tools. And Mark Zuckerberg enters the race for artificial general intelligence. In our top story, a top NATO official says Western civilians must be prepared for war with Russia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by LBC, The Mirror, NATO, and Associated Press. Admiral Rob Bauer, the chairman of NATO's military committee on Thursday, told reporters that civilians in Western countries need to prepare for the prospect of war with Russia within the next 20 years. He says, We have to realize it's not a given that we are in peace. He also said that that's why we, meaning NATO forces, are preparing for a conflict with Russia. But the discussion is much wider. It is also the industrial base and also the people have to understand they play a role. Bauer, who serves in the Royal Netherlands Navy, further praised the recent remarks from Sweden's defense minister, who this week told citizens to consider joining volunteer defense units. Bauer said it starts there, the realization that not everything is planable and not everything is going to be hunky-dory in the next 20 years. On the individual level, in the case a major war does break out, he said citizens need to be prepared with enough water and batteries to power a radio and flashlight for at least 36 hours, as well as other essentials. He says, I'm not saying it's going wrong tomorrow, but we have to realize it's not a given that we are in peace, and that's why we have the plans. Bauer's comments came from NATO headquarters in Brussels as military chiefs from the alliance's 31 countries, in addition to a representative of Sweden, met to achieve the bloc's warfighting transformation, according to the official NATO release from the event. Strengthening air defenses and aid to Ukraine were among the other agenda items. The comments also come as NATO is to hold its largest ever military exercise in decades next week. Roughly 90,000 troops from NATO countries are set to take part. The event, named Steadfast Defender 24, quote, will show that NATO can conduct and sustain complex multi-domain operations over several months, across thousands of kilometers or miles from the high north to central and eastern Europe and in any condition, the alliance said. Eric, thank you for laying out the
0: facts on our first story today. I'm going to start our first round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by LBC. This is clearly a preparedness conversation officials do not want to have. However, Western citizens really must be ready for the prospect that we could be in a major war with Russia at some point in the next 20 years. Officials are doing their best to avoid that situation, but citizens should
1: nonetheless be ready for the
0: possibility.
1: The pro russian narrative comes from TASS. Unwarranted comments such as these only escalate the tensions and provoke a game of nerves with Russian military officials. No less with a huge military exercise taking place near Russia's borders next week. If the West truly doesn't want a war, it should stop provoking it with its short-sighted policies and inflammatory rhetoric. And the nerds at the Metaculous Prediction community are going to stop this round of spins
0: with their nerd narrative. They think that there's a 99% chance that Sweden will join NATO before 2025. Didn't they already all get voted in? Turkey voted them in?
1: Actually, no. It had nothing to do with Turkey. But that's fine. Good try. You know what? Do better. then it was pastrami voted them in. It was. See, that's where you get confused. You're going to the wrong deli. Good grief. I I told you this years ago.
0: (laughs) North Korea claims to have tested an underwater nuclear-capable drone. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, MK News, Al Jazeera, Korea Times, CNN, and France 24. North Korea's state media reported on Friday that a new test of its alleged underwater nuclear drone system, dubbed HyEL 523, has been carried out in the waters off its east coast, as Pyongyang has ramped up its military action this year. This is the fourth time that the development of the unmanned underwater vehicle, which North Korea claims to be a kind of maneuverable torpedo that can be fitted with tactical nuclear warheads, has been covered by state run agencies since its public introduction last March. According to a South Korea-based expert quoted by Al Jazeera, very little is known about the drone. But if there are no major changes from the one allegedly tested last year, it would run around 8 knots per hour, up to 9.3 miles per hour, and is vulnerable to anti-submarine warfare. While it's unclear when the alleged test was conducted as the report, which has yet to be independently verified, didn't cite a date, Pyongyang said it was a response to three-day naval drills South Korea held jointly with Japan and the U.S. until Wednesday. Meanwhile, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff stated the exercise involving the USS Carl Vinson aircraft carrier and Japanese helicopter carrier J.S. Hyuga focused on advancing deterrence and responsible capabilities to North Korea's military. The drills reportedly came in response to the North's launch of a solid-fuel hypersonic missile on Sunday. A few days earlier, Pyongyang had staged live fire exercises along its tense maritime border with South Korea, which Kim Jong-un last
1: week declared his country's principal enemy. Adam, thank you for laying out the facts. Let's take a look at the spins. The first one is a pro-establishment narrative coming from CNN. There's no independent proof of the Hyel 523 test, let alone that it was successful. In any case, Pyongyang is probably exaggerating both the development stage and capabilities of this weapon. Kim's irresponsible war rhetoric, coupled with the ongoing buildup of the world's fourth largest standing army, indicates a significant strategic shift in which he may be looking to exploit the global geopolitical chaos to unleash a military conflict with the U.S. and its allies. The free world needs to strengthen its military deterrence, for this is the only language Kim understands. Eric KCNA is going to
0: counter that with the establishment critical narrative. The HIO-523 is further proof that North Korea is technologically capable of defending its territorial integrity and sovereignty military. If necessary, it's not Pyongyang that's stoking regional tensions, but the U.S. and its allies. Since Seoul has decided to stick to the geopolitically motivated U.S. hysteria against the North, Pyongyang had no choice but to fundamentally shift its stance toward Seoul. Domestic oppression to the logic of confrontation is growing in South Korea. And by misjudging reality and miscalculating
1: its strength, Washington and its vassals are heading for self-destruction. Metaculus says there's an 18% chance that there will be a full-scale war between North Korea and South Korea by 2050. According to the United States, there is no way to ensure Israeli security without Palestinian state. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, The Times of Israel, NPR Online News, Jerusalem Post and Guardian. Seemingly in response to comments by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, U.S. Department of State spokesperson Matthew Miller said on Thursday that, quote, no way exists to solve Israel's long-term security concerns and the short-term challenges of rebuilding Gaza without the establishment of a Palestinian state. Despite reportedly growing disagreements between Israel and the U.S., he said that U.S. support is, quote, ironclad, and that the U.S. was merely laying out for them the opportunity that they have. Disagreements regarding Israel's plans for Gaza after the war have expanded recently, with the member of the country's war cabinet, former Army Chief Gadi Eisenkot, saying late on Thursday that only a ceasefire deal would facilitate the release of Israeli hostages. Netanyahu has repeatedly said that the war would continue until Hamas has been destroyed, and avoided discussions of Gaza's post-war governance. Meanwhile, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell also said on Friday that the only peaceful solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict included the establishment of a Palestinian state, something he said may need to be imposed from the outside. In Gaza, Jordan accused Israel of deliberately targeting its newest field hospital in Khan Yunus on Wednesday, allegedly blocking the entrance with a tank and shooting at the facility. Israel denied that it had attacked the field hospital, saying it was engaged in a gunfight with Hamas fighters nearby. Also, Russia's foreign ministry said on Friday that it had received a delegation of Hamas officials in Moscow to discuss efforts to end the war, address the humanitarian crisis, and release the hostages. Hamas is currently holding three Russian nationals. The Russian foreign ministry stated that the Kremlin supported a full Middle East solution based on UN Security Council deliberations. Gaza's health ministry reports that the conflict has killed nearly 25,000 people in the Gaza Strip, the majority of whom were women and children. (laughs) The war has also created a rapidly deteriorating humanitarian situation. The official Israeli death toll on October 7th stands at around 1,200 people, and there are still over 100 hostages being held in the Gaza Strip.
0: Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts on the situation in the Middle East. We're going to start off this round of narrative spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by Politico. The U.S. is doing everything it can to both ensure that Israel can eliminate Hamas's military capabilities and prevent regional escalation. Israel must be able to defend itself from terrorist attacks, whether from Gaza or elsewhere, and is taking the right steps to wind down its military operations in Gaza, as it is not in the U.S. or Israel's best interest to see the conflict escalate. Nevertheless, the U.S. is prepared to defend its allies in the region and deter threats
1: to regional and global security. Jerusalem Post follows that with a pro-Israel narrative. Though this has been a tragic war, Israel must eliminate Hamas and restore deterrence with Iran and its proxy Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a terrorist army with far greater military capabilities than Hamas, and Israel cannot allow its citizens residing in the north to live under the constant threat of terrorist attacks. The UN resolution that ended the 2006 war with Hezbollah has failed to ensure Israel's security, and if some sort of new arrangement is not made, Israel will be forced to intervene. Likewise, in Gaza, Hamas's military capabilities must be eliminated to ensure Israel's security. We're going to continue the spin with a
0: pro-Palestine narrative provided by Middle East Eye. Israel continues to demonstrate that its war is not against Hamas or Hezbollah, but against the Palestinian and Lebanese people as a whole. Nowhere in Gaza is safe, and Israel has effectively rendered large swaths of strip uninhabitable. Israel is killing Palestinians at an unprecedented rate and has transformed Gaza into a wasteland. Though the U.S., Israel's biggest ally, once to minimize the war's intensity, it must instead exert more pressure to end the war completely. Somalia rejects mediation with Ethiopia over Somaliland port deal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Bloomberg, Associated Press, Adis Standard, BBC News, and Guardian. The Somali Foreign Ministry stated on Thursday that Mogadishu will not engage in mediation with Addis Ababa unless Ethiopia retracts its controversial deal with the breakaway region of Somaliland. The agreement would give access to the sea to the country that has been landlocked since Eritrea declared independence in 1993. Under a Memorandum of Understanding signed on January 1, Ethiopia would have given a 50-year lease to establish commercial maritime services as well as a naval base on the strategically important Gulf of Aden, with Somaliland getting a stake in Ethiopian Airlines in Exchange. Somalia is particularly concerned with this agreement as, in return, Ethiopia is also expected to recognize Somaliland as an independent state. Representatives of the African Union, or the AU, the EU and the US, who are attending an emergency meeting of a regional bloc on Thursday, recognized Somalia's sovereignty and territorial integrity, including Somaliland, adding that this crisis threatens stability in the already volatile Horn of Africa. Earlier that day, Ethiopia categorically rejected a resolution from the Arab League Ministerial Council in support of Somalia, arguing that such a statement was an attempt to meddle in its internal affairs and sovereignty. As tensions between the Horn of Africa nations have mounted, Somalia turned away a plane transporting Ethiopian officials to Somaliland on Wednesday on claims that the flight had no clearance to enter its airspace. Regular flights between the two countries are reportedly operating as usual. Once a British colony, the now de facto independent but internationally unrecognized Somaliland voluntarily united with Somalia in 1960 but broke away in 1991. Tensions between Ethiopia and Somalia run deep, with resentments remaining from a conflict over disputed territory that occurred in the 1970s and Ethiopia's 2006 intervention in Somalia to
1: despose Islamists. Adam, thanks for the facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A. This time is coming from AllAfrica.com neighboring countries, especially Somalia, should come to their senses and realize that granting Ethiopia sea access would be in the best interest of the entire continent as it would promote stability and unity in the region as well as boost its economic growth. It's outrageous that a peaceful and mutually beneficial agreement has been met with such a hostile response. And I've got a narrative B
0: provided by African Arguments. When Ethiopian officials claim their country has the right to own access to the sea, they are merely replicating a narrative that is as old as modern Ethiopia itself, and that has a lot in common with the Nazi Germany's imperialist lebensraum notion. Given that the international law doesn't recognize ports and territorial waters as subject to the legal title of a state, Addis Ababa
1: must respect the sovereignty and territorial integrity of its neighbors. Finally, the nerds from Metaculus say there's a 50% chance that at least 10 countries will formally recognize Somaliland as an independent state by October of 2047. The White House cancels $5 billion in student debt for 74,000 borrowers. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC Los Angeles, Education.gov, CBS, CNBC, and Fox News. U.S. President Joe Biden's administration on Friday announced that over 73,000 student loan borrowers will have their debt forgiven as part of a $4.9 billion plan that brings the number of borrowers receiving loan forgiveness under the administration to 3.7 million. The Department of Education released a statement saying that the discharges come from fixes to income-driven repayment, or IDR forgiveness, and public service loan forgiveness. The administration has forgiven a total of $136.6 billion in student loans. The plan will see $1.7 billion go to over 29,000 borrowers through, quote, adjustments to IDR payment counts, and $3.2 billion will go to over 43,000 public service workers. Nearly 44,000 public service workers, including teachers, nurses, firefighters, and social workers, among others with 10 or more years of service. The other 30,000 have been making loan payments for at least 20 years. Last week, the administration said that it would erase remaining loan balances for people with less than $12,000 in loans and who have been making payments for at least 10 years. Biden campaigned on forgiving at least $10,000 of student loan debt for every borrower and he pushed for a 400 billion dollar plan to cancel debt for tens of millions of people however the supreme court struck down the legislation last june claiming that the executive doesn't have claiming that the executive doesn't have the authority to cancel that much consumer debt without congressional authorization last month the biden administration canceled 4.8 billion dollars in student debt For more than 80,000 borrowers, according to Penn Wharton University of Pennsylvania's budget model, Biden's savings on valuable education, or SAVE plan, will cost $475 billion over the next decade. Thank you, Eric. The Republicans are going to have their say from PJ
0: Media. Joe Biden's administration continues to defy last year's Supreme Court ruling, pushing radical wealth redistribution plans and stealing from hardworking taxpayers. The court decided that the executive cannot cancel $400 billion of debt without congressional approval. But Biden's rogue administration has decided
1: to implement this unconstitutional plan in smaller waves. The Washington Informer comes back with a democratic narrative. President Biden is keeping his promise to hardworking Americans who have devoted their lives to public service and have consistently sacrificed to pay their debts for more than 10 years. While far-right Supreme Court justices may have struck down Biden's comprehensive plan, the administration has every right to relieve public workers and other borrowers from the immense burden of student debt. And the nerds believe
0: that there's a 50% chance that the U.S. student loan debt bubble will pop by January 2037, and that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Trump is urging the Supreme Court to reverse the Colorado ballot removal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, CBS, New York Post, The Post Millennial, and CNN. Lawyers for the Republican former President Donald Trump on Thursday filed a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court asking the justices to overturn a December 19th Colorado Supreme Court ruling that removed him from the Republican primary ballot in that state. The Colorado court said Trump's actions before and during the January 6, 2021 riots at the U.S. Capitol violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. But Trump's lawyers argued he wasn't subject to the clause because, as president, he wasn't an officer of the United States. They also argue Trump didn't engage in acts that qualify as, quote, insurrection the 59-page brief asked the Supreme Court to, quote, put a swift and decisive end to these ballot disqualification efforts that are disenfranchising tens of millions of Americans. The brief warns that chaos and bedlam will be unleashed if other state courts and officials follow Colorado and exclude the favorite for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination from their ballots. Trump's attorney will argue in front of the Supreme Court on February 8th. Meanwhile, 177 congressional Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, and House Speaker Mike Johnson, the Republican from Louisiana, signed into an amicus brief in support of Trump. The brief argues that the Colorado decision applied a too-wide interpretation of the 14th Amendment and, quote, encroaches on congressional authority. In addition, Maine Secretary of State removed Trump from that state's ballot after the Colorado decision, but both decisions are on hold awaiting a Supreme Court ruling. Officials in other states are also awaiting a
1: resolution before deciding on Trump's ballot status. Adam, thanks for the facts. The pro-Trump narrative comes from Daily Caller. It's obvious that rabid partisans from the left are attempting to derail Trump's re-election. This is unlawful and immoral. Millions of Americans will be denied their right to vote for the Republican frontrunner, and the faith of the electorate in the system will be lost if the Supreme Court doesn't reverse this injustice. The anti-Trump narrative is brought to us by MSNBC, arguing that a president
0: doesn't swear to, quote, support the Constitution as a laughable argument that shows Trump's desperation. This brief is full of weak and unrelated arguments because when it comes down to it, Trump violated Section 3 and should have to
1: face the consequences of his actions. Metaculus says there's a 17% chance that Trump will be removed from the primary election ballot of a U.S. state for a federal office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Biden signs a funding bill to avert a shutdown. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Reuters, ABC News, Associated Press, and Al Jazeera. U.S. President Joe Biden signed a short-term spending bill to prevent a partial government shutdown on Friday after Congress passed the legislation the day before. Despite some Republican opposition, the bill gained enough support from Democrats in the GOP Majority House to pass 314-108 just hours after passing the Democrat Majority Senate 77-18. The $1.66 trillion bill extends funding for some federal departments, including Agriculture, Energy, and Veterans Affairs until March 1st, in financing for the remaining departments until March 8th. In October, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, was stripped of his leadership position after passing a Democrat-supported Continuing Resolution, or CR. The legislation is House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana's second such CR, following one negotiated in November. This latest CR was passed after lawmakers failed to come to an agreement over a full-year budget which is being held up over disagreements related to border security and foreign aid to Ukraine and Israel. Thanks, Eric. We're going to start the spins with a Democratic
0: narrative provided by MSNBC. Once again, there's proof that Democrats are keeping the country running while Republicans do nothing but make irrational demands and obstruct the legislative process. Every piece of legislation that's important for the American people, including this CR, makes it to the president's desk because of Democratic support,
1: regardless of who sponsors it. Here's what Daily Caller is saying for the Republican narrative. There is no point in Republicans holding a majority in the House if Johnson's going to continue to cave to Democrats and allow them to continue funding their liberal agenda while ignoring the Biden-created mess at the southern border. This has to be the last CR, and if Johnson can't satisfy the demands of his own party, he may have to go.
0: News out of Ohio, another transgender candidate has been disqualified over their name. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, The Messenger, Ohio Capital Journal, and Fox News. Arian Childray, a transgender Agolese County Democratic candidate for the Republican-majority Ohio House, could be disqualified from the ballot for not including her former name on petitions. The Mercer County Board of Elections is scheduled to vote on child-raise eligibility Thursday. An Ohio elections law requires candidates to disclose any name changes in the past five years on their paperwork, except in the case of marriage. However, there's no mention of the law in the 33-page candidate guide, nor is there a place on the petition paperwork to list former names. Republican Ohio Governor Mike DeWine suggested changes should be made to the law, while Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose said he wasn't in favor of making changes. Previously, Vanessa Joy, who was disqualified for using a current legal name instead of her birth name, lost an appeal to the Stark County Board of Elections. Two other transgender candidates for office, Democrats Ari Faber and Bobby Brooke Arnold, had their paperwork approved and will be on the primary
1: ballot in March. Adam, thanks for the facts of that story. Our round of spins will begin with a left narrative coming from Guardian. This is why these transgender candidates are running for office. It seems extreme-right politicians won't just stop at passing anti-trans legislation. They're also willing to unevenly enforce laws that are already on the books. This is just another way to block transgender people from representing their community and working to protect those who are being dangerously marginalized. The
0: right narrative is going to be provided by Town Hall. It's vital that voters know the identity and past identities of candidates for office. Without without that transparency, voters can't judge the candidates on their record, their experiences, and their relationships. Some of these transgender candidates have said that they would have complied with the law if they knew about it then this isn't a case of legislation unfairly punishing transgender candidates, but of
1: transgender candidates not doing their homework before running. And the nerds of Metaculus say there's a 25% chance that there will be an openly LGBTQ plus person elected president of the United States by 2041. OpenAI removes a ban on military use of its AI tools. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Bloomberg in Gadget and Decrypt. During an interview with Bloomberg at the World Economic Forum, or WEF, in Davos, OpenAI Vice President of Global Affairs Anna Makanju revealed that the company has removed a blanket prohibition on military collaboration. Speaking alongside OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, Makanju said that while the company still prohibited the use of its technology to develop weapons, destroy property, or harm people, it had started to partner with the U.S. Department of Defense. Mentioned focuses of OpenAI's collaboration with the Pentagon included open-sourced cybersecurity tools, as well as attempts to prevent military veteran suicide, missions Makanju claimed were, quote, very much aligned with what we want to see in the world. Under OpenAI's previous policies, the company prohibited, quote, military use of its AI models under a section titled Activity That Has High Risk of Physical Harm. OpenAI does state that its usage policies may change as we learn more about the use and abuse of our models. OpenAI's current usage policy, updated on January 10th, no longer references military activity as a banned use of the company's language models. However, the company's prohibition of using it to, quote, harm people, develop weapons for communication surveillance, or to injure others, or destroy property, remains. Manganju confirmed that while the U.S. government had yet to ask OpenAI to restrict its military collaboration to solely America, the company was, quote, for now focused on United States national security agencies and that democracies need to be in the lead with these technologies. Thank you, Eric. The pro-establishment
0: spin's going to be spun out by Washington Times. OpenAI's decision to change its military policy provides America with an exciting opportunity to revolutionize the way it defends the world against adversaries such as China. AI has now reached a stage where its technology will be of benefit to the U.S., and the collaboration will give the government access to an exciting pool of private sector tech scientists who can help bolster
1: national security. The establishment critical narrative comes from Common Dreams. OpenAI's change in policy is an intentional choice to expand its markets to the defense industry in order to rake in extreme profits at the potential expense of humanity's future. AI will leave the weapons industry unchecked, and futuristic robotic killing machines are possibly closer to reality than the world should feel comfortable with. Once and for all, the arms industry must finally be restricted by legislation before it's too late. Oh, and the nerds got a good one for us here, they think that there's a 68%
0: chance that quote-unquote slaughterbots will kill at least 50 people outside of a military conflict by 2035. Oh, and that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. In our final story, Mark Zuckerberg has plans for Meta to build an artificial general intelligence. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Verge, India Today, and Engadget. Meta Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg announced Thursday that his company's goal is to create Artificial General Intelligence, or AGI, AI that equals or surpasses human intelligence, and opposed to Meta's social platform threads. He said that the long-term vision is to build general intelligence, open-source it responsibly, and make it widely available. As part of the AGI pursuit, Meta will also shift its AI research group, called FAIR, to the same part of the company that contains its AI product development team. The race to AGI among tech companies has led to intense pursuits of talent, including offering compensation packages of over $1 million. Zuckerberg also said that Meta will own 340,000 of NVIDIA's H100 GPU computer chips, the top choice in the industry, by year's end. Zuckerberg said he thinks many people will talk to AI frequently throughout the day, particularly through the use of AI-incorporated glasses, because glasses let AI see what you see and hear what you hear. Meta's AI technology has already been incorporated into Ray-Ban glasses. While Zuckerberg has said that he doesn't think people will use AI for its ability to generate code, he said the company's new focus on AGI is based on the release of its large language model, Llama 2. He believes the coding aspect is, quote, really important truly for having the LLMs be able to understand the rigor and hierarchical structure of knowledge and an intuitive sense of logic. Zuckerberg also argued that this doesn't mean the company is shying away from the metaverse. He believes the metaverse will become more popular as AI glasses grow in popularity. In an interview with The Verge, he claimed Meta's AGI goals aim to make the technology open source, arguing that this method, quote, addresses a large class of issues that might come about from unequal access to opportunity and value. Currently, the Lama language model
1: can be considered open source. Adam, thanks for the facts. Narrative A comes from Otto Block's glossary. AGI isn't just another form of AI, but an existential threat to humanity as a whole. If AGI isn't vigorously monitored, it will eventually become smarter than humans and develop itself exponentially until we can no longer put the genie back in the bottle. Once it's fully autonomous, it can decide to overtake human beings and the environment we inhabit. This is more than just the latest social app, and it requires much more scrutiny. OpenAI is going
0: to continue the spin with a narrative B. While there are risks involved in any advanced technology, We cannot forget about the incredible potential of AGI, particularly regarding the science. As AI companies slowly and cautiously roll out AGI to the world and after periods of thoroughly safety testing, the world will be able to learn about and adapt alongside AGI to make their lives exponentially better economically and socially.
1: Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, January 20th, 2024. Each day we use machine learning to
0: read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers, and we figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles
1: agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.News and download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.